This is our uh, fourth in our series of five of talking about the senses of Christmas. Today we're going to be talking um, about the sounds of Christmas and the next week we talk about the sights of Christmas on Christmas Eve and then in the evening um, at six o'clock, five o'clock? Five o'clock. Five o'clock in the evening next Sunday is our Christmas service. We don't have service on Christmas Day. And we'll be talking about the sense of wonder of Christmas. So culminating in the five senses, how that impacts our sense of wonder. This morning, we're going to be working through uh, the story of, of the birth of Christ as told in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. I want to encourage you to turn in your scriptures there. But before we, we read through the account, one question that I'd like to ask you, and this is for the crowd, and you can, you can speak these, these answers out if you think of them. If I ask the question, what sounds make you think of Christmas, what would your answer be? What sound is something that makes you think, oh, Christmas? Jingle bells. As soon as you hear that little, you know, you know, it doesn't matter whatever song it's starting, that's going to be a Christmas song. I heard Christmas carols too, right? I mean, and, and the beauty of it is, is that we're now in a world where you can hear every version of every Christmas carol ever. You can hear it in like um, the hard rock version and in the Muzak opera version, if you'd like. Uh, just depends on what story you walk through. What other sounds of Christmas are there to you? Bing Crosby. I love that. What, was that, what else was it? A newborn baby crying. Thank you. That's, that's a powerful image. Anyone else? Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Thank you, Duanda. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, I actually, I, I noticed it last night. Um, we were flipping through the channels uh, and we saw a little bit of the, the Grinch Who Stole Christmas. And as soon as I hear that song, like it's like, oh wait, hold on. That is something that is, is uh, so much a part of the experience of so many kids of hearing, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch, right? I mean, was, and it's amazing how those songs stick with us, right? And there are all these different types of songs, and some of them are certainly going to be more personal to you. One of the carols, and carols was already mentioned, is one of the sounds of Christmas for me. One of the sounds that comes is Erasagoth. Anyone know what I'm saying? Erasagoth? Is there anyone who knows what that is? Erasagoth is a Dutch Christmas song. And I can remember as a kid is singing that in full voice as part of church. The only time we sang Dutch all year was on Christmas Day when we sang Era Sagoth. And that sound sticks with me. Well, as we look at the text from Luke chapter 2, we see that there are a number of different sounds going on here that, that through the story of Christ's birth, God is giving to us to learn more about what his redemption story is and how he is redeeming even the sounds and the voices of creation through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Let's begin by reading verse 1, 1 through 3. In those days, Caesar Augustus, issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Now for some of you who may not be familiar with the historical context of the day of Jesus, here's what this means. Caesar Augustus is the Caesar of Rome. 
He is the one in charge of really the greatest political power of the day. Rome is where Rome is today in Italy. And yet we're talking about Israel where Jesus was. But Rome had such a far reach that they had taken control of even places like Israel. And Israel was uh, uh, under the authority of Roman rule. So that the, the Caesar Augustus in Rome could declare hey, I want to know how many people there are in my empire. And the empire would then have to do that. And that's what happened in Israel. But the reason why Caesar Augustus was asking for such a thing like a census was that if you knew how many people were in a place, you could do two things. You could make sure that you knew how much to ask for them in taxes if you had a certain rate, you would say, oh, there's a million people there. Then since I, since I have a 6% tax rate, I need to make sure that I, and if I don't get it, then there's a problem. He could also ask beyond taxation, he also asked for conscripts. Conscripts are simply this. If there was a war, and all right, the seas of Caesar... All right, okay. If you have a good, solidify your power through taxation and solidify your power through conscript and an army. What Caesar Augustus is saying, in fact, in Roman tradition, Caesar is God. And he is saying, oh, powerful God who can take your children. And I am the all-powerful God. Beginning of this story, wound of a challenge to God. Caesar is challenging God and saying, you think you're in control. Guess what? I am. You think you have power. I'm the one who can call a census. You think you have everything. I can get more money anytime I want. So for us to hear right from the beginning of this story that there is a sound of independence and a claim of power in Caesar that God responds to. It's so interesting that at the time of a census, a claim of power, Jesus comes. The story continues, verse 4 and 5. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for them to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room uh, available for him. Now, does anybody know the Christmas song, O Little Town of Bethlehem? What's the next line of the song? How still we see these rise. By the way, that's one of the reasons why I ask you, when you sing a song, sing with your brain on. That is a complete lie of a Christmas song. Because Bethlehem was not still. You don't multiply the size of a town by two or three times. A small little town that maybe holds 100 people and suddenly put three or 400 people in there and all of a sudden expect it to be a still town. Especially, especially when you're putting family together. <laughs> 
Just imagine. Think about the gatherings that you will be a part of over the next several weeks where families will all stay in the same house. Is that going to be peaceful? Probably not. I don't think so. I'm imagining the in-house house. If you add another three or four kids into that house, how quiet is it? Still as a mouse, I'm sure. You're just hoping that the foundations can hold it all, right? So you're asking us to believe that Bethlehem is this quiet place. It's not. In fact, Mary and Joseph are stepping into what in essence is this mob of humanity that is displaced. It means they're guests in other people's homes, other people's homes, other people's homes, and we think to ourselves, oh wait, Mary and Joseph are the only ones who didn't have room. Guess what? They're probably not the only ones. There were probably people outside in tents all over the place. There was probably in this little town, and the little town at that time was archaeologically, they think, somewhere between 100 and 300 people. There was probably four or 500 people in this space who didn't fit, and so it was filled with this din of humanity, crying babies, people who were forced to be together, and so there probably was even conflict. And again, it's interesting to me that God chooses such a moment and such a place to bring his son to redeem. Because when we think of the idea of the craziness of people gathering together and having all the stuff that happens when a lot of people get together, it sort of actually makes me think of the experience that we deal with in our culture. We have part of that too, right? Our lives are crazy sometimes because of the din of people. And perhaps it's not a physical presence of too many people living in our house, but all you have to do is take out your smartphone, pull up your social media, and the din begins, right? People speaking into your life. People showing up in your life in different ways and and reading articles about this thing or that thing and the, the din grows and turning on your television and hearing this stuff and seeing that report and hearing about this fire here and that war there and this conflict in this spot and the din grows and gets louder. And into that, a baby comes. And Jesus comes to speak. I put this point in my outline, and I have to admit, Rachel's actually a little upset with me. She said that she actually couldn't maybe um, be in relationship with me because I've already said that I don't like Disneyland, and Disneyland for here is a sacred place. Well, now I'm attacking Target, and Target and Disneyland for Rachel Peters are holy spaces. So to not, for me, if I can help it to not go to Target like any time in the next three weeks. I would love it. In fact, where I live, I live just across the freeway from Target. Uh, it's, It's a little ways, but I have to cross the freeway in order to get to Target. If I can handle doing life right now in gift giving and going to stores without crossing that freeway, I'm, I'm all about it. Because that side of the freeway right now is nuts. That whole area, and especially when you go into Target, right? You walk into Target, and I, it's like Lord of the Flies. Does anyone feel like that right now? 
And you go through and the aisles are tore apart. Kristen came back um, from, from going there and she said, it's just, it's crazy. People are going through all the bins and going through the shelves and everything's changed and moved and misplaced because everyone's in such a frazzle. Have to get the right gift. Have to fill the list. Have to take care of this stuff, right? And you just sort of stand in that and you're just like, oh my goodness, I don't feel the, the beauty of Christmas here. I feel this press of humanity overwhelming my senses. Doesn't feel like silent night. When you have some toddler saying to his mom, but I want it! <laughs> but I gotta tell you, I've actually thought in my brain, and I even thought a little bit about this morning. Am I capable of standing in those sorts of moments in the craziness of a place like Target and bringing something of Christmas? Even if it's standing in the middle, you know, you got to make sure you take up as little space as possible because it's full contact cart driving. So just sort of standing there, finding a place and looking around and saying, God, all of these people are people you love. And I'm going to pray that, God, you meet them this time of year. And for me to even think that is just a slice of what Jesus did. For Mary and Joseph to go into Bethlehem, this small town overwhelmed by this mass of humanity that it wasn't used to, for, for Jesus to come to that space and in fact do that for the whole world, for me to do that in Target is just a touch. A touch of Christmas transforming me. Of me hearing God's voice in Jesus, I love you. And I love all them too. Another sound of Christmas is Jesus coming into the noise. Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Into this din of humanity in Bethlehem and the quiet of the manger comes a new sound and that sound is the sound of praise and worship and the awe of the shepherds. Now, classically, traditionally, we look at that part of the story, and what do we say that the angels did? We imagine almost this line of the choirs of the heavens, right? And they sang glory to God in the highest. In fact, there are many people who would say, well, of course, they sang the Messiah. It was just an early publication of it, right? Glory to God. That's what they sang. 
The only problem is, is the text doesn't say anything about that, right? Not only does it not say that they sang Handel's Messiah, it actually doesn't say they sang at all. Look, what does it say? It says, praising God and what? Saying. Now, it's possible, and I'm certainly open. And in fact, I like the story better when the angels sing. I like the story better when the song sung in that moment before the shepherds was the greatest choral production ever that puts anything ever on uh, in New York or LA or wherever big productions are put on puts them to shame because the sound is so full and so beautiful in song. I certainly love that idea and I don't think it's completely wrong to believe that. But we think about the text. And the text says that they said these words. But we want it to be a song. It doesn't carry any less power. If you've ever been in a moment where together in strong voice, people will say words in union with each other. Say words that they feel and they believe and they trust. If you've ever been at a graveside and you've heard people say question and answer one of the Lord's Day of the Heidelberg Catechism, you know that there are power in those words of praise. If you ever have been in a stadium filled with promise keeper men as they recite together texts of scripture, there is power there. If you have ever been in places where people in common voice, with common belief, with common understanding and common faith speak words that have power and feeling and in their heart and in their lives, then you know that there is something extraordinary there. And I will say this, that I don't believe any Promise Keepers Conference or any graveside held a candle to the creation of God, the angels, singing of the glory of their creator in the incarnation of Jesus Christ coming to Bethlehem. I think that moment was extraordinary. In fact, that's one of the moments of Christmas where I put myself into the seat of one of the shepherds sitting on the hillside and think to myself, I wonder if those people could ever be the same, and I believe they couldn't. In fact, the text shows us that they aren't. Those shepherds in that moment of hearing God's praise uttered for who Jesus is in coming to the world changed and altered their realities forever. These are probably little boys. Culturally, these are kids under the age of 16 who were asked to go out and care for the sheep in the, in the fields. That was the job of the kids. So the probability that these kids lived for decades afterwards is very real. I have to believe, I want to believe, I in my heart believe that those shepherds from that moment on for the next 20, 30, 40 years of their lives could not stop speaking about the beauty of what they saw not only in that moment but eventually when they went to Bethlehem. They were changed. They were transformed. And had power. 
Anyone else been changed and transformed by Jesus? Have you? Put your hand up high if you have. You've been changed? Is it every word that you speak? Is it every moment? Does it have the same impact on you that it did on the shepherds? Eventually, we're going to see who they told. And by the word, I'll give you a little hint. It's everyone. They told everyone. Why? Because the power of the sound of praise. The sound not only of the praise that they heard, but then the praise that they themselves gave forth in gratitude for what they were all of a sudden a part of could do nothing to ever shut them up again. Everyone was going to be a target for the words that they had inside. Everyone would hear. Because that's what really good news does. And the shepherd, shepherds had heard the life-changing, life-altering good news. Verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things. She pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. Which were just as they had been told. The shepherds respond to the power by being great evangelists. They can't help but tell everyone that they come in contact with. This is what we've seen. We saw the angels. Oh, sure you did. Yeah, but they told us that there was going to be a baby. It was going to be wrapped in cloths. It was going to be lying in a manger. We went and saw it. We saw this incredible kid. We saw this mother and her, and her husband. We saw the beauty of that moment. And, and it, the words that the angels said is that this is salvation. This is hope. This is hope for you. We feel that hope and we want you to know it too. Because the truth of Christmas, the truth of the spoken word of God through the angels and, and the, the, the incarnation of Jesus Christ is, is hope for everyone. But it's also intensely personal. See, Mary has a part to play. And what does she do? Well, we know she ponders these things. She treasures them in her heart because she has been a part of God telling the story of redemption to creation. Here's an interesting thing. Does anybody uh, know, especially um, John chapter one, the gospel of John chapter one, there is a name for Jesus used there. What is that name? Does anyone know? The word. What is the word in Greek? Does anyone know? Logos. Okay. Logos not only means word, it means an utterance. It means a statement. Mary was a part of God's voice because she carried 
God's word. She carried the logos. She carried Jesus. She was a part of God speaking love to creation. And for her, that God had met her, God had spoken to her, God had made promises to her and kept those promises and was now using her to continue his statement of redemption to all of creation was something so overwhelming because it transformed her in her heart. She pondered these things in her heart because it was a turmoil of the beauty of God changing her. The shepherds carry the message to the world. That's a job for all of us to have this Christmas and always. You carry God's word to the world. The hope of the world comes through the church. We are the hope to everyone. But God's hope is for you. It's for you, James. Hear that hope. It's for you in your heart. God's word comes to you. Comes to you, Grace. Yes, you have the work of going out, sharing the gospel, but it's to you. Hear that comfort. It's to you, Roger. Hear that word of hope and love through Jesus Christ. Christmas is is a beautiful time to carry the message to the world. Yes, go out, share Merry Christmas. Yes, go out, show the Jesus film. Yes, be a part of supporting ministries and all the things uh, where we give gifts and share meals and, and share love and share hope with people. Yes, yes, yes. And ponder it in your heart that Christ loves you. Today is the Sunday of love of Advent. And in all the craziness, the craziness of Target or Walmart, the craziness of program after program, the craziness of gifts that have to be sent, Christmas cards that need to be taken care of, all the stuff that needs to be done. Hear this truth. Christmas is for you. God's love is for you. The incarnation is for you. When Beth comes up to the piano and says, just for us to sit for a moment in the quiet of God's love and hear just how much he loves you. 2,000 years ago, he already loved you enough to in the din of humanity of Bethlehem and against the statement of power of Caesar, He came in the cry of a child through a different sound, a sound of redemption for you. Would you pray with me? Oh, how you love us. Oh, how you love us, Lord. You love us with everything. You love us enough to give up the glory of heaven, the beauty of the perfection of the presence of your experience of the Trinity Father, Son, Holy Spirit united 
together in your glory and you were willing to empty yourself of all that to come into a sweaty, stinky, smelly, bloody place like Bethlehem. Even larger than that, into our world, into our lives to make them new and different. To give us hope where there wasn't any. To give us life where there might only be death. To give us health where there is so much that is sick and broken. You came and your word and your, the sound of your truth came through your son in such an incredible way. Lord, if we can but listen and grab hold of your voice speaking your glory to us in the baby and ponder that treasure it in our heart, then all the stuff around us becomes even more just stuff. It doesn't distract us from how much you love us. I pray, Father, that in the stuff that we have to go through, there is stuff that we get to go through, the beauty of so many Christmas things. And there is so much beauty, the parties, the gatherings, the dinners, the programs, that in those things, Lord, that we can take those moments to stand and ponder and more than ponder treasure in our heart. But you love us so much. And then out of that love, Lord, you call us to do the work of the shepherds, to tell everyone what we have seen, to tell everyone of what we know to be true, that we can speak of your love to a world that so desperately needs us. Lord, equip us to that end because you're the only one who can do it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.